The scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. First, let us pray. Your world is a lamp upon our feet, O God. Enable this reading to show us the way you would have us walk, the words you would have us speak, the life you would have us live. May these words shine a light for the whole world to follow. Amen. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been risen. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this. The Lord needs it and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing untying the colt? They told them that Je what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of the ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This is the week that defines the world. This is the week we remember God's most redemptive act. The week we remember all of the ways that we have gotten things wrong. And the week God continues to show us how everything might still be made right again. It all begins today with a parade. I used to live in a city continuously overwhelmed by parades. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, the St. Patrick's Day Parade, the Puerto Rican Day Parade, the parade that is the New York City Marathon, even the line outside of Absolute Bagels, where the best bagels in the city are made. Most days, that line could be considered a parade too. Now on my worst days, I was weary of parades. They were almost constant, it seemed. They were a bit of a pain and an inconvenience. They block the streets and slow down the sidewalks, often on Sundays, making it difficult for church members to get to worship and making it difficult for me to get back home afterwards. But on my best days, I could see how those parades, any of them, all of them really, were shining like a bright light on a cold and cloudy day. Because if you can give up trying to actually get somewhere and just let yourself be swept up in the energy of it all, those parades become demonstrations of hope. Because there is joy and laughter and kissing and high fives among friends and there is kindness shown and directions given to strangers. Terence, one of the men experiencing homelessness that I would pass on my corner every morning and every night, he always said that parade days were his favorite. 
Everyone is more generous, he said. I never get as much to eat as I do on the day when there is a parade. Parades put people in a good mood. And he said, when people are in a good mood, they are willing to share more. There really is something about parades. Among the floats and the signs, the shouts and the pictures, more often than not, there is a palpable sense of goodwill, of shared humanity, of hope. And I find that to be true anywhere there's a parade, not just in New York City. On the first Palm Sunday, there was a parade. Actually, there were two parades. One we just read about, the parade with the disciples who are first tasked with donkey delivery so that Jesus Christ can ride into Jerusalem on the humblest of creatures, one slow step at a time, as crowds throw off coats and cloaks to cover the ground beneath his feet, shouting, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That crowd is singing praise. They are shouting and singing praise that comes from their own hymn book, the book of Psalms. Psalm 118 says, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And that crowd knows those lyrics. And knowing the words, they say them, but then they add to them. They add, blessed is the coming kingdom, because they know Somehow in their bones, they know that Jesus is the one who will reign in that kingdom, that he is the one who will usher it in. And they proclaim it with tattered clothes and tree branches as he comes in riding on a colt, on a donkey. It is a strange and humble parade, but it is full of hope. Now, according to Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan, another parade took place that very same day. The second parade isn't mentioned in scripture, but it is mentioned in several historical sources. So this is one of those moments when we need to put scripture in conversation with writings of the time. Jesus's parade enters Jerusalem from the east. But on the opposite side of the city, from the west, Pilate enters Jerusalem with every sort of pomp and circumstance. His parade is not one of hope, but of hostility. You see, it was the beginning of the week of Passover, the most sacred of the Jewish year, and it was standard practice for Roman rulers to be in Jerusalem for all of the major festivals, not because of their desire to worship, but because of their need to control. They were present in case there was anything that smelled to them of trouble, because after all, Passover celebrates the Jewish people's history of liberation from their oppressors in Egypt. Roman rulers certainly didn't want anyone to get the idea that it might be time to be liberated again, this time from the empire. 
So imagine that procession's arrival in the city. It is an overwhelming display of imperial power with cavalry on horses, foot soldiers, leather armor, helmets, weapons, banners, golden eagles mounted on poles, sun glinting on gold and metal. And the sounds match it all. Feet marching, leather creaking, bridles clinking, drums beating. Two parades. Two parades coming at each other from opposite sides of the city, one proclaiming the kingdom of God and the other proclaiming the power of empire. It stands to reason that these two parades will eventually run into one another. But their inevitable collision is about more than just geography. Their collision their collision of theology and ideology, that collision is what takes us to Good Friday. When hope is met with hostility, eventually something's gotta give because the two simply cannot exist together forever. They are too opposed to one another. Now I have to tell you, I've long known that there were two parades on that day, but for most of my life, I assumed that they only took place at the same time because of Passover, that each of them marched that day because of Passover's meaning, that each parade's planning and motivation was wholly independent of the other. That's not the case. Pilate's parade is all about power, and it's all about how he and his closest confidants have all of it, which means there's nothing left for anyone else. And Jesus knows that parade is coming. Here's the thing, it happens with every festival. He knows the parade is coming. And with that knowledge, he arranges for a parade of his own. If I understand all of this scripture and history alike, Jesus's procession deliberately counters what is happening on the other side of the city. His parade is the embodiment of an alternate vision, a vision of the kingdom of God here on earth. And the crowds that line the streets, they too are making a choice because they too know what is happening on the other side of the city. It happens every festival day. They have seen it before, the blatant demonstration of hierarchy and the ugly assertion that they are less than and the not so subtly implied violence of punishment for anyone who dares to think differently. It is nothing less than tyranny, even if it is dressed up in its fanciest clothes. Knowing that his time is limited, Jesus knows it is time to take his vision for the world to the streets. Now here is what gives me pause when I think about all of this. 
Jesus does not stop Pilate's parade. He could have. He absolutely could have stopped it, but he doesn't. He simply offers an alternative. That is what he does. It is his way in this world, not to destroy the ones that he knew would destroy him, not to counter violence with more violence. Rather than obliterate the powers of Rome, Jesus instead presents yet again the kingdom of heaven and reminds everyone, the powerful and the peasants alike, that there is always another way for those who are willing to follow it. Of course, that's what he does. Of course. Because God so loved the world, the whole world. Jesus came not to destroy anyone. He came to redeem everyone, even those who would seek to do the very worst to him. Because God so loved the world, the whole world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus' alternate parade Jesus' alternate way for the world, it is not accidental and it is not coincidental. Do you know the full story of Rosa Parks? The way I learned the story as a child, Miss Parks sat down on a bus and refused to get up because she was tired. It had been a long day at work and she just wanted to be off her feet. It's not the whole story. It would take me years to learn the rest of it. Ms. Parks was part of a network of civil rights leaders who came together four months before she kept her seat on the bus. Together, they thought through every detail of what would happen if she refused to give up her seat. They thought through the legal implications, they considered the safety risks, and they weighed the moral imperatives and when Rosa Parks got on the bus that day, there were others in her network prepared to spread the word of what was going to happen. They were literally waiting in offices with their hands poised above the copy machine, ready to make copies of flyers that would tell the story the minute she was arrested. They knew it was coming. They planned for it to come. When Rosa Parks sat down and remained sitting, make no mistake, it was careful, intentional, and premeditated. Later, she would write, I was not tired physically that day, at least no more tired than I ever was at the end of a work day. And I was not old, although some people have an image of me being old then. I was 42, and the only tired I was that day was tired of giving in. The crowds that lined Jesus' parade, they are tired too. They are tired of that other parade and everything it stands for. It's time for a change. 
Jesus always knows what time it is. And so carefully and deliberately, with advanced planning and with delegated responsibilities, Jesus offers an alternate way of being for those who are tired of things the way they are. That is what he does on Palm Sunday, but it is what he does throughout his entire ministry, and it is what he will do throughout this holy week ahead. Now, I know that in these recent weeks of Lent, I have hearkened back to the earlier stories of Jesus's ministry time and time again. I have repeated them again and again and again, but that's because his life and his ministry is astonishingly consistent. We put so much emphasis on this last week, and rightly so, but this last week only matters because of everything that has happened from the beginning. He took gallons of water and he turned them into gallons of wine. He took withered limbs and he turned them into healthy arms and legs. He took ostracized people and turned them into accepted members of the community. And now he takes a parade touting the imperial powers that be. And he replicates it on the other side of the city and turns it into a parade touting the power of the kingdom of God. On Friday, he will take the cross, an instrument with a long history of violence and hatred and oppression. And he will turn it into the ultimate instrument of redemption. In doing this, he does what he has done his entire life. He takes the world and person by person, circumstance by circumstance, conversation by conversation, decision by decision. He takes the earth and everything in it and he offers us another way. He offers us the kingdom of heaven to any and all who have ears to hear it and eyes to see it. Thinking about the entire scope of Holy Week, author and theologian Kathleen Norris, she writes, all of this reminds us that our world turns on a dime that sudden changes in our circumstances can take us straight from praise to lament. But in exercising our God-given imagination, especially on Palm Sunday, she says, we can allow Jesus to help us turn our most painful lament into songs of unending praise. The world can turn on a dime and there are two parades marching through the world today. Which one will you turn and follow? Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.